Do you remember where we finished off last week? No? Matthew 24, yeah. It was, what, did, what did Nick do? What did Nick do last week, right at the end? He did an impression, didn't he? Can you remember Nick's impression? Who did he do an impression of? Matthew 24, anyway. There you go. He did an impression of John Wayne. Why did he do an impression of John Wayne? Have you ever seen the story or the film, The Greatest Story Ever Told? Yeah? John Wayne played the part of the Roman centurion at the end. And what did the Roman centurion at the end say? Surely this was the Son of God. And Nick said, oh, you need to do it in a John Wayne accent. And so he did, in a John Wayne accent. But then that week, Nick sent me uh, a message to say, he gave me some inside information on the film set of filming The Greatest Story Ever Told. And John Wayne was doing his line, or, you know, surely this was the Son of God. And the director said to him, John, can you do it again, but this time with awe? And so they started filming and it came to John's part and John Wayne said, oh, surely this was <laughs> the Son of God. There you go. <laughs> right. We were in Matthew 24 and um, we were talking about Jesus warning his disciples that there will be, until the Son of Man comes again, there will be wars, rumours of wars, famines and earthquakes in various places. And then I said to you, how long was it from Jesus warning his disciples they were going to experience an earthquake to actually experiencing an earthquake? How many days was it? It was a couple of days, wasn't it? It was just a couple of days before they experienced the first earthquake since Jesus warned them that they will experience these things until the Son of Man comes again. And it was on Good Friday. As Jesus died on the cross, what happened? There was an earthquake. The rocks shook. The temple curtain was torn. And so turn to Matthew 27, because that's where we left off last time. Matthew 27, verse 54. Jesus has just died on the cross, having suffered. The one who was sinless became sin took our sins, the punishment for them, on the cross, as we just celebrated with the bread and the wine. Matthew 27, verse 54. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Oh, surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea called Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Now, we know from John's Gospel account that they made sure that Jesus was dead before they let his body go. How did they make sure he was dead? A spear in the side. One of the soldiers speared his side. 
He saw he was already dead, so he didn't break his legs, which they did to the other two criminals either side, which is what they normally did to speed things up. Jesus was already dead, and he saw that he was already dead, but he just pierced his side, and out came blood and water, which apparently is a medical sign that death has happened, and something has separated from something, and you get blood and water flowing. Okay, verse 59. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had had cut out of the rock. Now, I like Mark sent a funny WhatsApp this week. It was a discussion between Pilate and Joseph of Arimathea. And Pilate said, Joseph, I don't understand. You're the richest man in the region, and you've just made yourself this brand new tomb for you and your family. And now you're giving it to Jesus. And Joseph replied, don't worry, it's only for the weekend. So they placed Jesus' body in the tomb and it said in verse 60, he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Now Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. So the Marys actually saw where Jesus' body was laid and that pays pays to any kind of argument that says that, well, on the Sunday the Marys went to the wrong tomb. They went to an empty tomb, so of course they're going to find it empty. But no, they knew. They saw where Jesus' body would lay. They went to the right place, didn't they, on Sunday? <laughs> the next day, verse 62, the next day, which meaning Saturday, Jesus died on the Friday, the next day, the one after the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. Now, at least the priests and the Pharisees were taking a note of what Jesus said. At least they were listening. They didn't believe him, but at least they were listening. Now, paying attention to what Jesus said is half the battle. The other half requires you believing him. So if you pay attention to what Jesus says, you're halfway there. The battle is half won. You just need to start believing what he says too. However, as believers, we know, don't we, that whatever Jesus says, it will happen. We've already looked at that, haven't we? Okay, so the Pharisees and the chief priests were speaking to Pilate, verse 64. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. Sorry. We're going to find out how, how they know how to make a tomb secure in a minute. All right. <laughs> so they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now, I didn't know that Royal Mail was around in those days. <laughs> I wonder how many first-class stamps it took to post that guard. Ha, ha, ha. And it says they put a seal on the stone. Now, I wonder if that seal kept that guard awake all night. And I wonder if that guard was John Wayne or Nick doing an impression of John Wayne. Okay, all right. Back to some serious Bible study now. After the Sabbath, this is verse 20, chapter 28, sorry, we're going to the next chapter, aren't we? Verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, which is Sunday for them, 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. That's the second earthquake, isn't it? The first one happened after a couple of days, and now a couple of days later, another earthquake happened, just as Jesus warned them that until the Son of Man comes again, there will be earthquakes. What did we learn last week about what Christians should be asking when we hear or amidst wars, rumours of wars, famines and earthquakes? What's the two things that we as believers should be asking when we hear about or experience wars, famines and earthquakes? Well, the two things that I suggested were, what is God up to? What good, specifically, what good is God up to in this? Even though it's awful, God works for good, doesn't he? God is working good in your situation in the world. So one question when you hear of earthquakes or famines, what good is God up to? And the second question is, what is God asking of me or saying to me? Even in this awful circumstance, what what good is God up to? And what is he asking or saying to me? So in this particular earthquake, on that first Sunday, Resurrection Sunday morning, what good is God up to? And what is he saying or asking of you? Okay, verse 2. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And I expect the seal fainted too. The angel said to the woman, or the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who, is, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Just as he said. Here's what Matthew recalls Jesus saying about his resurrection. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, or he says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. And here we are on the third day and the angel tells both the Marys, he is not here, he has risen just as he said. Now, if it's okay with you, I'd just like to celebrate this truth and wind up Wendy Howard is at home a little bit as well with a name that tune interlude because I can, I can just imagine Wendy now in her dressing gown shouting out all the answers and winning all the chocolate but unfortunately she's not here. She's tested positive just as Chris did as well today I think this morning wasn't it? So, so sorry Wendy, I know you know all these answers but you're not getting a chocolate. You'll make it fair for the rest of us, won't it? Okay. So, name that tune. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boasts of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. For you... Okay, who's going to catch it? No, this is Mary's one. Mary's one. All right. What a beautiful name by Hillsong. Are you ready? There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. It's on the tip of your tongue, isn't it? And as he stands in victory... 
Yeah, in Christ alone. Sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Okay, ready? Death cannot keep its prey, Jesus my Saviour. Are you calling out? No. No? Okay. I'll keep an eye on you though, just in case. All right. Death cannot keep its prey, Jesus my Saviour. He tore the bars away, Jesus my Lord. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose. Hallelujah, Christ arose. Yes. Low in the grave he lay. Oh, we sung this one. I won't bother with that one. That one's too easy now. Okay, next one. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Let's just see if Wendy's messaging. No, Wendy, you have a message. Then on the third, at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. O trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. Christ is King. No. That one was, O praise the name. Hillsong. All right. Ready for this one? Lo, Jesus meets us, risen from the tomb. Lovingly, he greets us. I'm in the glory. I heard Caroline first. I don't think I throw that far with confidence. Mark was first. Okay, that's fair. I've got spare. <clears throat> Lovingly, he greets us, scatters fear and gloom. Let the church with gladness. Hymns of triumph sing, for her Lord, Lord now liveth, death, death has lost its sting. Who was it by, Mark? Yeah. Thine be the glory by. I've got Handel, is that correct? Hand- yeah. It's cheating, Budry, there we go. <laughs> I got the wrong mark, did I? Well, Mark didn't own up. Okay, Mark, where are we? Where's Mark Tennant? Okay, right. <clears throat> okay, Mark, I'll, uh, I'll give you a second chance. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life, so, so I could find it here. Oceans, Oceans, close. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. So will I. So will I, yes. Who said it first? Who said it first? I've got two left, so that's easy, isn't it? No, Okay, well done. How many did you get right, Wendy? All of them. Okay. 
I heard someone say Jesus' resurrection was the, or is the, amen to all of God's promises. Um, but we'll speak more next week about the power of resurrection, what it means to us. But let's carry on with our reading. Where are we, Matthew 27? 28. 28? Okay, verse 6. The angel said, He is not here, he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Wasn't it a Mary who anointed his feet? and worshipped him and cried on his feet before he died. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. That's the first time he's been able to call them brothers because there's a new relationship. He also in John said, Go and tell my brothers that I'm going to my God and their God is this new wonderful relationship that God can now bring about because of Jesus' death and his resurrection. The Bible says that he became the first of many Brothers, as it were, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> so go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And they did, didn't they? They all saw Jesus except for one. Thomas. I'd throw a load of chocolate out right now if I had any. Oh, yeah, I could throw the empty packets, couldn't I? Okay, so let's go to John 20. John chapter 20. we got a little while. John 20, verse 24. Let's just sympathise with Thomas. It's a little bit mean, isn't he, that he's called Doubting Thomas. John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. I wonder what it was like for Thomas. Everyone swapping their meeting the resurrected Jesus stories. Even the local seal had witnessed it. Poor Thomas. Do you think he may have been tormented with regret of if only I'd been there when everyone else was. Rumour has it that Thomas invented something called WhatsApp that week. <laughs> and he made a prayer group that said, the 12, if you see Jesus, quickly let me know. <clears throat> if only Thomas had been there to see Jesus. Do you think Thomas might have begun wondering if he wasn't as deserving as the others? Maybe he waited until I wasn't there. Because I'm, I don't know what I am really, said Jesus, but... Maybe he was wondering if Jesus didn't really care about him, thinking about him the same way. Perhaps he was doubting whether Jesus would ever turn up again, because after all, I said that I'd never believe in him until I touched him myself. Perhaps he's staying away on purpose. Must have been a difficult week, mustn't it? Do you feel for Thomas? Do you feel like Thomas sometimes? Thankfully for Thomas, he only had to sweat it out for another week. 
And then this happened in verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you think Jesus might be talking about us? The millions who would come after Thomas, who would, who would believe, not because they saw and touched Jesus, but because we believed in the eyewitness testimonies of his disciples, who later on would go to write it down and record it, and be later on put into what we know as the Bible. But is that it, is that it for us today? Can we only know Jesus through what we read in the Bible? Well, thankfully not. Because in Jesus' own words in John 16, he said it's even better. He had an even better plan in mind for them. So let's quickly, if we can, rewind a whole week back to that first Resurrection Sunday and look at Luke 24. I just want to quickly remind us of this new and better way of knowing Jesus that he has in mind and he had from the beginning of the world. Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, which is Resurrection Sunday, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Wasn't it awful seeing Jesus dying on the cross? And the earthquake and the darkness for three hours, what was going on? And what's worse is the empty tomb. Is, where's he gone? What's going to happen to us? As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognising him. Do you know, this may be the first ever use of, you know those funny glasses with the funny nose and the moustache that you can get from joke shops? This might be the first case of someone using it. They were kept from recognising him. Why? Why were they kept from recognising him? I think the Lord is wanting to point out to them, but also to us, that even though you may not recognise Jesus physically with your eyes and touch him with your fingers, he is still with us. In Acts 17, it states that God is not far from anyone that they might reach out and find him. God is not far from anyone, not just believers, it says. God is not far from anyone that they might reach out and find him. So whether a person realises it or not, whether they are a believer or not, Jesus Christ, it sounds like, is near them on their journey. But a believer may not see Jesus with their eyes and physically feel them with their fingers and touch, but he assures us that he is with us. Verse 17. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Jesus is saying to them and to us today, what are you talking about? What? Talk to me. Before Mary recognised Jesus in the garden that same morning, Jesus asked her, what did he ask her? 
Mary is crying in the garden. He comes up to her and says, Why are you crying? Do you remember that now? Why are you crying? And Mary says something like, Oh, I don't know where they put my Lord, thinking he was the gardener. Why didn't she recognise him? He doesn't say. Jesus already knows, obviously, why Mary is crying, and yet he says, Why are you crying? A bit like God appearing to Adam and Eve when they first sinned and they hid. And he says, where are you? He knows where they are, but he still wants you to talk to him. Jesus asks us along the way, even though he knows already, why are you crying? Why are you laughing? What is it that you're smiling about? Why do you look so worried? Obviously he knows already, but he wants you to talk to him, share it with him. He says, talk to me. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened in these last days? What things, Jesus says. Of course, now Jesus is at the centre of all this, so he knows exactly what things they're talking about. But he still says, he still goes along with this thing of, well, no, I don't know. Tell me, what things? Even though the Lord knows everything about you, he still asks you to talk to him, to tell him, to share with him. Explain, describe, express, talk to me, he says to you. A couple of weeks ago, Marie caught me with the name Jesus in big letters in a big blue marker pen on the back of my hand. And Mary said, Mary said, Marie said, I've got an excuse, so I've just been reading about Mary. Mary's. Marie said, why have you got Jesus written on the back of your hands? And I said, it's to remind me. And that was all I said. And Marie, I expect wives, you've learned just to give that look of, I love you and you're my husband, but you're so weird. <laughs> and because you're so weird, I'm not going to ask anymore. And that was the kind of look Marie gave me. But what, I, what it was, was I just began an experiment two weeks ago of trying to remind myself to talk to Jesus as often as possible during, during the day. Not just when I remember or when I give thanks, people who might know what that means, but um, as often as possible to remind, oh, I can have a conversation with Jesus right now. And do you know what happened? About a week into me remembering to speak to him more and more in the little things during the day was, some of you know I write, a, I write a letter to Jesus every day for the last 15 years. And it can get a bit samey if you write a letter to the same person every day for 15 years. What I noticed after a week of talking to him more and more was my letters became a bit more, I'd say, flowery, a bit more descriptive, a bit more emotive, whatever, if that's the right word. And also noticed, I mean, we'll hear in a minute, actually, we probably won't because it's time. So, but what you notice is that the relationship with the Holy Spirit in you often happens round about this area. Uh, I don't know, do you, do, you, do you agree? Am I the only one? There's a kind of a knowing, a sense of, that's, that's, uh, if you have a prayer language, that's where it comes from, you know, the, the gift of tongues. Um, we're often when we have a conversation with ourselves, we go into our heads. And when we're asking maths questions, things like that. But actually, when we have a conversation 
with Jesus, often you find yourself going down to there, where our spirits are. That's where I think my spirit is anyway. Um, And what I noticed was there was a deeper sense of knowing. What did I write here? I wrote a deeper, a stronger sense of union. The more I talked, the more I sensed that he was listening and the more I sensed that he was with me. And later on, they didn't recognise who Jesus was all the way they were walking the seven miles with him and talking until right at the end when he's breaking bread in front of them and all of a sudden they recognise it was Jesus, they're unable to see him and then he disappears. And what was it they said? Weren't our hearts burning within us when we talked with him as we were walking along? Now, what I believe Jesus is saying to us today and was saying to them and teaching them, blessed are you who have not seen me and yet believed. He was teaching them that there's going to be a new spiritual relation with him. They were no longer seeing with their physical eyes and touching with their hands. They would now have a new relationship with Jesus that was not based on your five senses, although they might be involved. Taste, touch, smell, sight hearing. Is that five? don't know. They might be involved, but actually what is involved is your sixth sense. His heart to your heart. His spirit to your, in union with your spirit. That's where this new wonderful relationship that he's walking with you. And the more you realise that and the more you talk to him, the more you experience what the Bible calls as deep calling to deep. So, yes, it would be lovely if Jesus could be here in person as he was. But actually he says, I'm going away. And it is better that I go away because then I can send the Holy Spirit to you. This new relationship where Jesus is closer to you than your own skin. So may we be encouraged this Resurrection Sunday to renew our conversation with him because even though he knows he says tell me what things what are you crying about what is it you're smiling about what is it you're worried about talk to me 